So where's the worst place you'll vomit at? Oh. Um, I know, I'm going gutter for this. Yeah. But it's relevant to our episode today. I would have to say, I haven't done it that much. Actually, I probably have done it a bit. I used to be allergic to oysters, right? I'll keep this short. So, But I love the things. I haven't eaten them for years. And I used to eat them and then get really sick. So I've done it in all sorts of hotel rooms and you know, friends' houses staying over, and that's been pretty horrible. But the worst place would have been um, a mate of mine uh, had, well, him and his wife had a kid a few years ago. Went to the um, you know the, the the boys' lunch celebration thing, had a mini bus, went to a restaurant, drank heaps of booze, I ate oysters, Uh-oh. got on the bus for the trip home. Uh-oh. And, uh, yep, it all came to a head um, right down the aisle of the bus with about, you know, 20 or so blokes on the bus. And, uh, yeah, had to pay the $150 cleaning fee and and suffer the, well, I guess it was a bit of humiliation, but, yeah, it wasn't pretty. Lots of windows got opened. (laughs) And you've just shared that with our listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Was it just descended to a new level? I just couldn't keep it in, hey? Okay. Welcome to the Tradies Business Show, helping you get off the tools and into true business ownership so you can spend more time doing the things that matter most. Now, here are your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Michaela Clark. And welcome back to the Tradies Business Show, um, taking you to the gutter, literally. Yes, bus and all. <laughs> uh, I know I shouldn't have asked such a gutter question. I didn't want a gutter Sorry. answer. but Sorry to our guest. For that, but it does have some relevance. It okay? does. It does. Because our, our poor special guest today uh, had gastro. She did, but she made the interview anyway. It's how dedicated trooper. she is. To us. It is such a trooper, and that's you know that's the quality of guests we bring to you is they're willing to push through a bout of gastro just to talk to you as a listener. And I think you'll find that we may have solved her gastro. <laughs> she felt much better after talking to us, which is not normally the case. But no, uh, normally people feel worse. <laughs> so. As the title suggests, we're talking about overwhelm today and hamster wheels and burnout and all the stuff that, as a business owner, as a trade business owner, I suspect you've suffered from one time or another. You're probably suffering from it now, maybe from all three. And um, today's guest has written a book, uh, and it's launched this week, that's going to solve all of that for you. Well done. Easy. Yep. Done. Cool. So so, uh, we're joined by Kelly Exeter, who is the editor of Flying Solo. She's also has a blog and a website at A Life Less Frantic, and we've spoken to Kelly before on the show. Um, And so this is her second book. Yes, and she's also a podcast now. She forgot to vlog a podcast. So not only has she written two books, she now does – we complain – well, you do two podcasts. I only do one, and I still complain about it. (laughs) Uh, She does two podcasts as well. Yep, one's called Short and Curly. And, and the other and is... I can't remember the other one. <laughs> uh, it's got a feather in it. Let it be. Let it, let it yep, be. There you go. <laughs> it's good thing a branding I, good thing I, I knew it had a feather in it. So, um, so, yeah, two podcasts, two books, editor of Flying Solo, busy, busy ladies, also uh, a wife and a mum. Got a design and web studio yep. well. So this chick knows how to cram. Um but uh, Kelly's also figured out uh, the the impact this can have, and she actually had a pretty serious meltdown, um, uh, a breakdown, you know, a few years ago. So she shares a lot of that in the book, and um, she talks about some of the strategies today. You should listen to this episode all the way to the end because we're going to give something away for free. Uh, yes. So, yeah, hook in. Joining us today 
On the Tradies Business Show is, uh, well, she's not a tradie, but um, she knows a lot about tradies, Mm -hmm. and uh, she does know a lot about perfection, and I know a lot of our tradie listeners are probably guilty of being perfectionists when it comes to their work, particularly the the on-the-tools stuff. So today we're joined again, um, coming back to the show, which is always exciting that a guest agrees to come back after the first time, (laughs) it wasn't so bad, is is Kelly Exeter. So uh, welcome back to the show, Kelly. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. It's becoming a habit, a good habit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I deliberately didn't say where you were from because you're from a number of places. I mean, you're probably from the bathroom today because uh, you're actually (laughs) suffering a bit of gastro at the moment. So uh, thank you for for still speaking to us. Um, And hopefully we don't have to edit out any gaps where you disappear. But uh, (laughs) Definitely. But yes, I was I was definitely riding the porcelain bus last night, <laughs> <laughs> which was just great great times. Yes. Um, but no, feeling feeling much better now. One of my friends is you know, she's into a very holistic kind of health stuff. So she said, get to the chemist and buy what is it, activated charcoal oh, something yeah, right. and. Mix that into a glass and scull it down, and anyway, it seems to have done the job. So there you go, activated charcoal. I bought some of those um, charcoal tablets, same sort of thing. the last time I thought I was going to have a big night out and um, <laughs> I took a couple of those tablets and I don't know if it was the small amount of alcohol I consumed because I've lost my drinking fitness over the years or the tablets, but I felt worse the next day, so I don't know. Oh, right. <laughs> Didn't really help me. No. Maybe- yeah, it's supposed to help you de- detox, but um, and it's and then in the dose that she told me to have, it was like, you know, that's what they use for when you've been poisoned. <laughs> so- oh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's a bit extreme, but, you know, I feel yes. good now, so. <laughs> well, it works. <laughs> well, it works, you know, so I'm not going to complain. I'm just a bit, oh, you know, I'm going to be inappropriate here, but I'm just a bit worried about, like, when's it going to come out and what's it going to look like? <laughs> I hope you've got it cleaner. If it goes in, it's got to come out, right? Okay. You're not, anyway. on, you're not on cleaning duty this week, hopefully. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> so big news this week, Kelly, or as of today, actually, we, uh, you've got a great new book out so tell us about it today's a big launch okay so yes today is a big launch of my second book it's called practical perfection and it's smart smart strategies for an excellent life and really i guess the the base of it is um it's not so much for you know it's not about perfectionism but it is pointing out to people a lot of people who think they aren't perfectionists like myself I never really thought I was a perfectionist because there's plenty of stuff I can be pretty half-assed about when I want to be um so I just never identified like that but when I was um kind of researching the book I came came across research that showed um that there's kind of three well there's no definite like this is what perfectionism is and these are the types of perfectionists there's a whole uh, there's a few schools of thought but the one that I really liked um, or really identified with was the one um, where they said there's kind of three types of perfectionism um, and the first type is self-oriented perfectionists so they're people who adhere to really strict standards while man- while maintaining strong motivation to attain perfection and avoid failure and they also engage in stringent self-evaluation and that was very very much me so yes I hear there's plenty of stuff like I don't you know I don't have to keep a perfectly clean house I don't have to make amazing dinners for my family but if there's something that 
I've really set my sights on and with me it's my work um so I've got a, as Warren um Warren Warwick alluded to I've got a few different um works that I do um so I'm a business owner of Swish Design which is a web and graphic design company in Perth um I'm the editor of Flying Solo which is Australia's largest online community of you know solo and micro and small business owners um and then and then of course I'm a writer as well so in my work I'm very very much a self-oriented perfectionist I hold myself to a very high standard I must communicate with people at the highest possible level I must produce work that is the high and not just the highest like you know I don't just kind of set out to meet my own expectations and other people's expectations I set out to exceed them all the time and of course this is not sustainable and what this has led me down the path of over time is fairly constant burnout ever-present overwhelm and often that feeling of you know being a hamster on a wheel where you're busy 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 but you just don't feel like you're getting anywhere Um, And so these are like ongoing problems for me in my life and they were getting in the way of me living a happy and fulfilled life and also just mainly getting in the way of me being the person that I wanted to be. Um, And what it all came to a head was I had a breakdown about six years ago. Um, I was running my business after and had a brand new baby and we were building a house and I was running a household and, you know, a whole lot of things happened in a very short period of time and, that all sat on top of this, um, you know, need of mine to be the best at everything that I was, you know, set my mind to. Um, so, yeah, unsurprisingly, I had a breakdown and it took me a really long time. It took me a good two years to kind of get better from that breakdown. It's because I kept reverting to these habits that I, these lifelong habits I have of overwhelm and burnout and being a hamster on a wheel. Like every time I got under pressure, I just reverted to behaviors that took me down those paths. Um, but yeah, so I'm a very slow learner, but I eventually figured out, you know, a way, a system for kind of managing those things, um, and, and allowing me to get on top of them. So yeah, so that's a really long, <laughs> there's the premise of the book. Don't, don't worry about reading it. I just told you what it was about. <laughs> and, and, uh, cause you wrote a guest post on, uh, Mrs. Woog's website. Yes. Woog's, Woog's World. World today. Woog's yeah. World. Yeah. Uh, and I was reading that with, you know, you talk about the three types of perfectionists and, and I went, oh yeah, I'm yeah. the first one and, uh, oh crap, I'm the second one too. And I got to the third one, I was like, I'm stuffed, I'm all three. Uh, yeah, so a few got no people hope. have said to me like, oh my God, what do you do if you're all three? And I was like, well, if you, I can help you with number one. The other, so the other two are, the other two are you're a person that holds other people to very high standards. So that's the second one. That's other oriented perfectionism. Um, and then the third one, which I can know, is socially prescribed perfectionism where you feel that other people are holding you to high standards that you can never, ever meet. So, mm. yeah, a lot of people, and I guess that's where you get like where you're really a real deal perfectionist is when you are all three of those. Thankfully, I'm pretty much only the first one. And that's really um, largely what the book tackles is helping kind of self-oriented perfectionists find a, a balance between, you know, going after the things that they want to go after and their goals in life, but still also being able to be a good person. Because I think, you know, for me, like I've got a triathlon, an elite triathlon background that precedes me owning a business. And so, you know, what I've noticed in my life is that, you know, so when I was doing triathlon, life was all about triathlon. That was all I could think about. And 
I was very single-minded about that. And then when I owned my business, life was all about the business and being the best in that business that I could be. And it's just kept going and going. And thankfully, I have a very patient husband who who has been with me through all of that. And he would always push back at me and go, you know, these things that you're asking of yourself, are they reasonable, you know? And I would go, shut up. What are you talking about? Of course they are, like, you know. And I've had to come to realize over the years that for the most part they're not reasonable and I've had to learn to ask myself those hard questions because I think we all know, like, you know, it's when your partner's the one asking you questions, you really don't tend to notice or when it's your parents kind of going, mm, you know, maybe you're pushing yourself a little bit hard you don't notice, you have to kind of really buy into it and start going, right, I'm I'm the one responsible for my choices in life and where I'm going. I know I'm not happy with where I am right now with what I'm doing, so what do I need to do to stop this same thing happening over and over and over again? So it's really interesting because I read the three and thought, oh, not really any of them. So is that bad? That I'm not any of them? <laughs> no, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> If it was anything, it was the one where I maybe hold other people to high expectations. <laughs> but I thought, oh, not really any of them. Maybe I'm just like slack and don't give a shit. Or maybe I should be. No, I think what it is is just you're sensible. Like I, um, I, mean, I, say, <laughs> I say this book, like on the front of the book, I say, if you're always being told you're too hard for yourself, this book is for you. And it's funny because my husband did a lot of the reading of the early drafts of the book. Um, and, you know, he could read the book and say and, you know, ask questions about, oh, this doesn't make sense or that doesn't make sense. But he couldn't really take away a huge amount from the book because I remember saying to him one day, um, has anyone ever said to you you're way too hard on yourself? And he had to like and – and he sat there and he thought and he thought and he thought. And I'm like, if you have to think about it, then clearly they haven't. So <laughs> <laughs> that said, Michaela, I find it hard to believe that no one has ever said that to you. Oh, maybe I do say it to myself, I guess. You are a little bit. But that, that's why you hang around me, so we get a bit of balance. That's it, Because you know, yes. I, I demand perfection of <laughs> myself. and But I, I have always had a big thing about I think other people have these expectations about me and the way I do things. So I'm one and three quite strongly. Um, yeah. Not so much, although some of the people around me might disagree, but, you know, expecting <laughs> perfection of others. But I, I was going to say, Kel, that I, I feel like it kind of shows up um, the same or, or similarly anyway, regardless of which one of the three. And I know your book is really focused around the self-perfection um, style. Uh, yeah. But self-oriented sorry, perfection. Self-oriented, yep. yeah. Um, thanks for that. Michaela usually corrects me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but looking at your model that you've created, which is fantastic, um, Regardless of where that perfectionism comes from, you know, what the driver is, it still shows up in very similar ways because, you know, it's about our own behavior and how that then impacts us, I guess, negatively to use that word. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, you know, I do like taking the conversation away from perfectionism when talking about the book, despite the title. And I mean, the the title is all about, it's really, um, it's really a, a reflection of, of me and all the writing I've done on the web for the last six years. So it's, it's a reflection of the fact that you, we literally have to be more practical about what we're asking of ourselves if we want to be happy. So that's been my overriding philosophy of everything I've written about on my blog, um, which is called A Life Less Frantic for your readers. Um, so, yeah, so this framework that I've developed for myself, um, it's so 
if your listeners can imagine a Venn diagram and there's three circles in that Venn diagram and there's passions is one, priorities is the other and productivity is the third. And so at the intersection of those three circles lies the zone of what I call practical perfection. And the reason I like this model is because for one thing, practical perfection is a zone so it's not like we're not aiming for this single point in time which is what I think a lot of people do like they kind of set their goals on this point of time where all the um, planets align and all their ducks are in a row and they're there and it's incredible and the thing is like you only ever get there for like a second (laughs) and then like you know or a day and then the next day everything's kind of you're not you're not in that spot again. So I think striving for this single moment in time is just a is not a good way of going about things because you're just going to be permanently frustrated and, and upset because you're never there for very long. Whereas the zone in the middle of these three circles, the, it's a lot easier to stay in that zone because you can kind of move. You know, you can be pulled towards prior. You know pulled towards you know, bur- you know a burnout stage but not actually tip over into that stage or you can be pulled over to overwhelm but not actually fall into overwhelm but the beauty of it is that even if you do and I mean I found myself at the end of last year in an overwhelm state again and like my very first instinct was to go oh my god Kelly you're writing a book about overwhelm and you are overwhelmed like you know this is ridiculous you know you're such an idiot I can't believe you did that and then I kind of had to go hang on a minute so I'm here I'm in overwhelm what's the antidote for overwhelm according to my little diagram the antidote is priorities so I stepped back looked at everything that I had going on you know prioritize them all and like kind of the three things at the bottom I went right they're just gonna have to wait for another time they're not they're not good for right now so that's what I like about, you know, I, I tend to judge myself very harshly, but this framework that I've created does not judge. It just goes, hey, you're in overwhelm. Okay, let's get your priorities sorted. Or, hey, you're feeling a little bit burnt out. Right, you need to get a bit more of your passions into your life. Um, and then, you know, if you're a bit of a hamster on the wheel and you're just getting, you know, not getting anywhere, but you're so busy, 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 then you need to be more productive. So, yeah, so that's the kind of... Um, you know, three equations, if you will, that if if you have priorities and passions in place, but you don't have productivity, then you're going to be a hamster on a wheel. If you have passions plus productivity, but you don't have pri- your priorities straight, you're going to find yourself in an overwhelmed state. And then if you put priorities and productivity together, you're getting a lot done and it's great, but you're going to burn out very, very quickly because you've got none of your passions there to kind of buffer the stress that comes from being hyper-productive all the time and having a lot on and getting a lot done. And it's it's uh, I like the prescriptive nature of correcting that. So, so long as I can recognize myself getting in that state of overwhelm, as you say, um, mm. then if I just get some priorities, and, and I've actually done this recently um, before even finding out about your book, but uh, <laughs> you could have used me as a case study. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you just don't even need my book. Is that what you're saying, Warwick? <laughs> well, I, I had to do all the hard work and figure it out myself, but I, I read this and was like, oh, I've, I've just done this. Kelly, where were you? <laughs> um, you were still writing the book. Um, yeah, I was. But it, it was off the back of uh, reading another book um, about 
priorities and figuring out, you know, what's the one thing that I should be working on. And, and I've just found that to be so liberating in terms of that hamster on a wheel thing because I was very busy with my passions with the, the pod, this podcast and all the editing and the spin-off stuff with our member site and, you know, creating content and, and the rest of my life's pretty busy as well. And I just yeah. found myself feeling like I'm really busy. I'm running really hard. Yeah, I was getting, I guess, getting stuff done, but, um, you know, I was starting to feel a bit sort of overwhelmed and burned out and just bringing more priority into that sort of got a bit better balance and got me back in that zone. Uh, yeah. So I just and I and identified with this straight away. And it's effectively kind of being kind to yourself. So I think this is a thing that perfectionists tend to not be able to do is is be kind to themselves and to cut themselves a little bit of slack. I think when we cut ourselves slack, we see it as slacking off and kind of letting ourselves off the hook. So we do, we just don't do it. And I guess that that's the other thing that I like about this framework is it kind of takes that whole thing out of it. Any of that negative kind of self-talk and, oh, should I really or shouldn't I? Like it just makes it I'm not a formulate kind of person, which is interesting to me why I managed to come up with this um, kind of framework because um, it's just not how my brain thinks. But when you – I'm a big fan of removing as much thinking as we can from our lives, you know, by way of having routines and habits because I find that I have to think and agonize about stuff the more – time you've got to do the stuff that's you know really important to you you know hanging out with your family being creative um doing the stuff that you love so that's i guess what i like about the framework is you know instead of me spending hours beating myself up and being an idiot um and falling in you know falling into overwhelm or getting burnt out again um i just go look i know what the you know i know what the antidote is just do that thing and don't you know, kind of don't give it a second thought um, and what I'm finding now is, you know, in the past, you know, like before I had my breakdown, I was in a permanent state of overwhelm um, for like two years, which is when I say it is ridiculous. But at the time, you know, it just was there. It became a normal part of my everyday life. And I think I, I, as part of the research for this book, I did a survey about overwhelm. And what that survey showed is that overwhelm is very much our normal now, like, so much so that we don't really question its, you know, its presence in our lives. It's just so normal to be a little bit under, you know, under the pump all the time and a little bit scattered in our brain because we don't know which thing to do next, that we don't really question it. So that's what I'm hoping that what the book will help people do is pick up when their feet are on a certain path a bit earlier and make changes a bit earlier. And that's certainly what I've been able to do in past years. Like, you know, so my life's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination because nobody's life is perfect. So there's always constant challenges being thrown our way. Um, and, yeah, what I'm finding is instead of kind of falling down a giant hole every time one of these challenges presents itself and going, oh, here's this thing happening to me again and life is just something that's happening to me, I feel a little bit more in control of my own destiny, which is something I'm a big fan of because I – I am a little bit of a control freak. <laughs> it's really interesting. I think that might be your problem, Michaela. You're not, you're not enough of a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. It's quite funny, though, because I just really related with something that you said there because in the last six months, you know, I felt an extreme amount of overwhelm um, in all areas of my life and I really did 
reevaluate a lot of things, what were actually were priorities to me and what was important in life. And part of that was closing a business and doing all sorts of other stuff um, personally. And what I find now is I'm much less overwhelmed and I think there's something wrong with that. I think I should be worrying about something or I've spent, you know, I've got three boys, we've had two businesses and, and multiple other things and podcasts and, you know, mothers and kids and mothers-in-laws and husbands and all that put in together. And now I've yep. tried to streamline a lot of things and, and focus on our priorities that are really important. But I am finding now, oh, I'm not worried as much. I should be worried about something or yeah, why, why am I not so anxious anymore or it's weird. It's really bizarre. Yeah, it's a bit like when you've been at uni for three years and when you're at uni, there's always something you should be doing. Like there's always an exam to study for and an assignment you should be doing. And then when you finish uni, you're kind of like, what's this weird feeling? Like there's something I should be doing. There's something I should be and, – and then you realize, oh, no, there isn't. You, you're finished uni now. There's nothing to be doing. And it's a bit like that with overwhelm. Like we get so used to carrying it around and it's such a normal part of our life that when it's not there – like we do actually feel like something's wrong like and we and we kind of go oh um i should so i should be doing something else now like i've kind of got this extra time on my hands i should be rushing to fill that hole in my life um and people kind of do end up seeking that overwhelm feeling out a little bit and i know i certainly have in the past um but then you get like into that hyper overwhelm stage again and then you go oh why did i do that um and you live and learn, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. Like I had to actually uh, – it's interesting I had to actually get out of overwhelm to realise how bad it was. Yeah. You know, because like you say, you do just live it and you think it's, it just becomes your normal and you think you're right and you, you think you're coping but actually you're really not. Uh, it's yeah. not I've found until I've come right out of it now that I can see the difference in me, the family and everything else. Um, but it, it takes you to get out of it before you can really see it. So yeah, was, and you see, and you probably see it a lot in other people now, don't you? Oh yes, I'm just a walking, and I'm looking at Warwick <laughs> as I'm saying this. But I feel like I'm this preacher of eh, don't worry about it, or have you got your priorities right, or you know all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think people are starting to get annoyed we, now. We had uh, a couple of days um, recently where. Michaela and I had scheduled time to work on some of the new um, innovations within the Tradies Business Show and, and the work we're doing with our listeners. And I don't know, I think we sat and drank coffee, well, I drank coffee, uh, for an hour or two in the morning. And yeah. we talked about what we're about to do and then we had a really focused and productive um, and quite passionate, well, you know, work-wise, uh, you know, a few hours and... And then it was still only mid-afternoon, and I actually we stopped, and and Michaela said, "Right, hey, great. Well, we've done that." And uh, and I was like, uh, "But shouldn't we be? I don't know. Can we do something else? We, we should, we should still be busy." Yeah, because it was only like midday, and he said, "We spent half the day drinking coffee." And then, well, I said, "Yeah, but we got what we needed to get done. Uh, we actually got more of what we wanted yeah. to get done." But because you associated things getting done to time, yep. You know, where it's like, yeah, but it's only like twelve o'clock. Yeah. Like we've got and to do and other like stuff. This space, you know, this space is opened up in your afternoon, and you're like, "All right, there's space there. It has to be filled, fill right?" It. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I was looking for stuff to fill it with. So instead uh, of going, "Oh, this is brilliant! Like I can now, like I can now meander my way through this afternoon period because we've done our focused work in the morning." And that's kind of like, um, so the whole productivity chapter in my book, in this book, um, 
like productivity is my thing. It's always been my thing. Um, and I've always used productivity my whole life to fit more stuff into a day. So that has yeah. always been yep. the goal. Yep. And what I've, um, the shift that's happened in the last few years is I now use productivity exactly the way that you just described it, Michaela, where you go, um, you use productivity to create space. So you pick your time, you, you zero in on your focus, you go hard for this smaller period of time and what that does is the time that that then frees up, as tempting as it is to fill that time with more productivity, <laughs> that time is really crucial to your mental health and to your creative health and to your happiness, you know, because you, you're able to, like, you think about how often in your day are you able to move slowly? Warwick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking to Michaela then. Oh, no. uh, I'm looking at you too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I literally used to, I'm much better now, um, but I used to literally run between tasks, appointments. I was always rushing. I always felt um, amped up, and it's probably to do with coffee I drink too, but uh, you know, I was always it's because you're rushing. rushing. Yeah, because you're rushing. It's because what you've probably done is you've scheduled every single minute of your day to <laughs> no, get the most. He does. <laughs> he, it's, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, it's okay. I've done. I've been there. I've done that. And it, and the, what I found was the problem with that was meant that there was zero time. There was never any time for contingencies. And I'm talking like you know, yep. you go to put your kid in the car and they've done a poo in yep. their nappy. So you got to go inside to change it. And like I, you know, I did not have, I did not schedule three and a half minutes to change no, my kid's nappy right. at and that time of the morning. Totally. And, and then I get frustrated because I'm derailed. Yeah, and that's the and, thing. And then so your whole day's angry. gone. Yeah, and I just find like, you know, you're angry at your kid for just doing a normal bodily function and you're angry at yourself and then you rush and, and then you're angry with every single person that you come into contact with for the rest of the day. You know, someone tries to talk to you while you're writing an email and you're like, can't you see I'm trying to write an email? And that's what I, like, that was me. Like that was, yeah, I was just constantly cranky. People were constantly tiptoeing around me. They didn't want to bother me. Um, they could see I was on edge permanently and I was, yeah, and I realized that that was just not the person that I wanted to be. So, and I and I knew that the antidote to that was to have space in my day for things to go wrong. Have space in my day to move slowly, and so I now actually schedule space in my day for these things to happen. Um, and, and actually, um, I detail some of my morning routines in the book, and it's funny I've gotten. I really tossed about whether I keep the, that section in or not, the bit where I really like go, at 7.15 I do this and at 8.45 I do this. Um, but people have really got back to me and went, those have been so useful to see how you schedule your mornings. I'm like, oh, right, that's really interesting. Um, but, yeah, I, and the major, major thing with my mornings that I do is that I have it kind of three tasks um, which is, you know, cleaning up the kitchen, having a shower and, you know, making my son's school lunch. And I've got like 45 minutes to do those three things, which is an absurd amount of time. I could do them in 20. But what it means is I get to move really slowly through those tasks in the morning. If something happens, like he goes, oh, mommy, I need a, you know, I need a 
a doctor's lab coat costume for school today. <laughs> it means I don't blow my nut because I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, that's not ideal. Let's go find something in daddy's cupboard, honey. And, you know, my, like my reaction to things are a lot less angry, basically. <laughs> so, because something that I do is, like that day I referenced with Michaela, is we had that space in the afternoon and I... I actually think I sat there for about 20 minutes wondering <laughs> what I was going to fill the next two hours with and feeling really guilty about having space. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I ended up going home and hanging out with my daughter and, you know, she was surprised because daddy was home early and um, we had a great little afternoon and I was actually quite chilled. When I let go of it eventually, yeah. it, t- it took me probably the, the 45 minute hour drive home to actually let go of the fact that I was about to do what I felt was nothing productive but yeah you know, for my daughter and my relationship with her which is a priority in my life uh, yeah um that yes. was awesome right but how to how do we get over the guilts Kel like what happens have you got some strategies for how we get past that guilty feeling and shift these habits yeah, definitely. I think the most important thing that we've got to have an understanding of, and this is the something that most of us don't actually have a good understanding of, is our values. So our values are something that we kind of know are there, um, but we don't really give a lot of thought to it. But of those, um, you know, it's kind of been said that it's very hard to make a bad decision if it's driven by your values. And maybe think about like our days are just driven by decisions constantly. So if we're saying yes to X, we're saying no to something else. So are we saying yes to something that's saying no to our family, which is, again, something that I spent many, many years doing. Like, you know, my my husband, he was always going to be there. He had endless patience. So I knew I could say yes to any number of things that meant saying no to him because he'd kind of just deal with it and he would go well this is just Kelly and you know if I love her I'm just gonna have to put up with this from her but um it's not ideal like he shouldn't have to put that up put up with that from me um and I kind of came to realize that you know once I got in touch with my very very core values and a good understanding of those and the, the problem with getting in touch with your core values is it's not an easy thing to do like there's no you know there's no rock solid test that you can do it's actually a really under-researched area of psychology so it it's a very um kind of ad hoc approach to figuring out and a lot of time people resort to giving people a long list of values and saying circle which five like really resonate with you um so like my core values is like my family but i also have this real core value of like i kind of have to i like have this deep seated need to be at home with my family um, which is, you know, so there's kind of two different things there. Like everybody's core value is their family. Like everybody loves their family, but not everybody has this need that I have to literally actually be at home like in the afternoons on the weekends. So that knowing that allows me to make better decisions. So when someone asks me to do something that means I'm going to have to travel or I'm going to be away from my family for three days or I'm going to be away on a, on a weeknight, um, I think really, really long and hard about it and 90% of the time the answer is no because it's getting in the way of that particular core value. Um, Then I also have these core values where they're quite um, contradictory, like where I really, really highly um, value recognition 
but I also really highly value my privacy. So I have to find a way of making decisions that honors both of those. And the best example that I can think of that is like I seek mostly recognition from my peers um, and I like to, you know, so I like my peers to know who I am and to think I'm good at what I do. So say my writer peers or my blogger peers or business peers, but I don't ever want to be, say, famous. I don't want that level of recognition because that would really screw with my core value of privacy. So this is the kind of thing that it just drives my decision making better now. So and so worry when you're when you find yourself with a two hour um, gap in the afternoon and some kind of way to fill it you know, knowing what your core values are allows you to make a good decision about how you're going to spend that two hours and 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 also takes away the guilt because you know that you're going with your values and you're not just doing something because someone said you should or you thought you should. Mm-hmm. And it's those shoulds that really we need to get rid of those shoulds. <laughs> Especially the self-shoulds. Yes. Because we, <laughs> we should ourselves all the time. Yeah. And, right. as, and I think, oh, sorry, Mikael, I was just going to say, I think the yeah, values really help with the shoulds as well because, it, it again, it, it kind of takes it takes all that emotional stuff out of it. It takes like the and, the, and the back and forth with yourself in your brain and it just goes, no, this is my core value. My core values, like top of my core values is my family. So I've got a chance to go spend time with my family. Like, God, I'm going to do it. Yeah, it's definitely something, um, again, that I've changed is I used to think well, that I should work eight hours a day. You know, yeah. that's what I should do. If I haven't worked eight hours a day, I haven't been as productive or I haven't, you know, done what I say I was going to do or commit. Where now I'm working much less, like three to four hours a day, but I get so much more done. It's been mm. a really interesting shift. Um, and I know yep. Tim Ferriss and 4-Hour Workweek talks about this kind of thing, saying, you know, when you've only got three or four hours to do things, you're going to be a lot more focused and get more done. And what I'm finding by... Sh- you know, not thinking I have to work the eight hours or just doing what I want to get done for that day. It has mm. created all this space now. I take the kids to um, karate of an afternoon where before I would have gone home, got them off the bus, gone straight home, thought, I've got to get back on the computer, I've got all this stuff yeah. to do. Mm. Now I spend hours of an afternoon just sitting on the floor in a karate studio and I love it. You know, yeah, I, it's the I, best I, feeling. Or, like, you know, when you go and lie on the couch for 20 minutes. And most of us wouldn't do that, like, because it's like, you can't lie on the couch. It's something you should be doing. But it's, you know, it's this whole self care thing as well of taking that time out to just relax. Like, we just, we, we find it so bloody hard to relax and hard, so hard to justify relaxing. And I, you know, the only thing I can say to your listeners is whenever you feel like, feel yourself feeling guilty about relaxing or taking time out for something, just remind yourself that it makes you a better person and that's really important to the people who are around you. Like I, I look at the person I'm not, and, again, I'm not pretending I'm perfect. I still get grumpy. I still get tired. I still get, you know, ratty at my kids and my husband. But for the most part, when my kids are with me, you know, we're all chilled and relaxed and happy and no one's kind of on edge waiting to be yelled at because, you know, they drop their milk on the floor or something. And I think that that's something that we all need to aspire to a bit more. Yeah, and I think our listeners, particularly in the industries that they're in where it's time for money and, you know, Mm. they've only got so many hours in a day, they can be on job sites and things like that, that that extra pressure is there. And I mean, you know, imagine if a lot of our tradie men went home to their partners and said, you know what, I'm I'm home at 11 o'clock today, let's just go to the movies. 
I mean, yeah. that would freak them out and it would freak their yeah. wife out and think, what have you done? But just imagine that. Just imagine going, you know what, I'm just not going to work for the next few hours today. I'm actually going to have some partner time because that's a value to me or pick up the kids early from school and take them for a swim or whatever it is. But imagine the dynamics in your house, in your business, in your family if that kind of stuff started to happen. And I always say to people, like, you know, spontaneity is awesome but it it's it's so nice to actually schedule these things in so say you're the person that every Wednesday you're the one that picks the kids up from school and the kids you know I know how much when there's one person that does all the drop-offs I know how much the kids love it when the other person does the drop-off or pick up and I think that if you're able to schedule and you know mandate to yourself look Wednesday afternoons that's locked away for school pickup and then whatever my kids want to do after school pickup, whether if they want to stay at the park after school and play for 20 minutes or, I mean, this is something like my son always wants to stay at school after school pickup and play in the park for 20 minutes afterwards. And, and usually we can't <laughs> because I've got to get home and do a few things before I then get into like the whole dinner kind of routine. Yep. Um, so on the days that you know, so every so often I try to schedule an afternoon where he can do that just and it just makes such a difference to his day or, you know, just to be able to say to him, all right, bud, normally we can't do this but every Wednesday from now on that can be the afternoon that we stay at school for a little while longer and play at the park and it's just all these tiny little things that, you know, really they're not taking away from your work life in a great, a great amount but they just mean the absolute world to those people who are the most important to you. And I do think I know I'm a great one for taking for granted the people who love me the most and knowing that they'll forgive pretty much anything from me. But just because they can doesn't mean they should. No. And in terms of impact, you think about the impact of that impromptu movie trip or the 20 minutes playing in the park. Um, those things really have a lasting uh, effect on the people around us, as you say. But the impact of maybe not doing another hour's work in your business or your job or whatever, you're going to pick that up tomorrow. Yeah, it's, still going to it's be pretty there, minimal. Like, yeah, <laughs> by comparison. So um, one one other question I wanted or, or point I wanted to speak to, Kelly, was you talk about passions and I find a lot of uh, our listeners, they talk about, well, I'm not passionate about my trade business. You know, I'm, I don't love fixing cars or leaky taps or whatever. So I, I kind of like the wording with your model and, and with the book is it's about adding more of your passions to, to move to that practical perfection zone. It's not about making your job your passion necessarily. Is yeah. that Have I interpreted that correctly? Definitely. It's just, and I'm very, very, um, you know, I use the word passions for a good reason because I think we've gotten caught up in our lives of thinking that we all have this one single passion. We should all try and figure out what that one single passion is and then we should try and get, you know, be able to work in that passion and that's the ultimate goal, right? And I just think that that is just setting ourselves up for such great failure and an unhappiness if that's our pursuit in life. Mm. Um, and I love um, Liz Gilbert, who is the um, the order of author of Eat, Pray, Love and Big Magic. She had a brilliant take on this the other day um, on her Facebook page where she said, you know, in life you've got a job, you've got a vacation, you've got a career and you've got hobbies. And she said, you know, a job, is that thing where you you have all of those four things, the one thing that you need is a job because you need to make money somehow. You need to contribute 
you need to be able to live, right? So forget passions, forget your job being that thing that fires you up and lights you up inside. Like all you need to know is that your job will make you money and that you kind of like it. You know, if you despise your job, then okay, go try and find one that you don't despise. But all you need to do is just like your work enough that and, and, and know that it puts food on the table for you and your family. Um, a hobby is kind of getting closer to a passion, whereas a hobby is something that, you know, it comes and goes in your life, but it's just something that you like doing, that you enjoy doing. And I think hobbies are the things that we we just don't really make enough time for them in our lives these days. We think they're a real luxury type thing. Um, and I think that, yeah, and this is, yeah, so I'm going to kind of use hobbies interchangeably with passions here, even though they're not really. Um, but yeah, the way that I see passions is it's anything that lights you up on the inside a little bit. Do you love watching your team play footy, you know, on the weekend? So do you love going and hanging out with other people who love the same team as you? Then bloody hell, go do that thing. Do you love, um, do you love running? Then go running. Do you love, um, you know, so I, I love writing, but more than anything, I love having an idea and having an avenue for sharing that idea. So that's my passion is like sharing my ideas with the world. And so what we've got to also realize is there's no one way to make these passions of ours happen. So I have this love and passion for sharing my ideas for the world. I can do that through writing on my blog. I can do that through speaking. I can do that through podcasting. I could do it through video. Like I hate video, so I don't do video. But, you know, all those other three things, it's so nice to know that when it comes to communicating my ideas to the world, there are multiple ways that I can do that. And that's true for pretty much everyone. So I make the example in the book of, you know, I love doing park run on Saturday mornings because, you know, is it because I love running? Well, I do love running, but I actually much more love improving and I love pushing myself. So doing that park run every Saturday morning is just one way that I can indulge that passion I have for self-improvement. And there's many, many, many ways. So when I'm injured and I can't run, is it the end of the world? No, because there's any number of other ways that I can indulge that passion I have for self-improvement. So this is what I think people need to do is they need to make more time to do stuff they like doing and they have to make room for multiple passions in their life because if you only have one single passion, so say you're an entrepreneur and you just love starting businesses and that's your only passion in life, you're going to probably burn out. And ironic because passions are the kind of antidote for burnout because they're kind of stress relievers. But if you only have that one passion, you can just as easily burn out as the person who has no passions at all. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, it's a bit of a rant. <laughs> you said it much better than I could, Kel. So uh, thanks for that. <laughs> And I did see Elizabeth Gilbert talk the other night on her big magic little tour. And, oh, uh, did you go in person? Yeah. And oh, I hate you. I'm sorry, but I was so inspired. <laughs> I came and I, I hadn't read the book deliberately. I wanted to hear her speak first and I read yeah. it all weekend. I couldn't put it down. And uh, I, it's going to be my next must-read book for Warwick and our listeners, so I'll do another episode on that. Because every time I say a must-read book to Warwick, it does have a bit of an impact <laughs> on him, so watch out. <laughs> Uh, but it's yeah, basically, you know, it's all about letting your creative creativity be and what it is it is and don't worry about what the world thinks of it. Just do it because you love it. 
Yeah, and just follow. And I love the way that her method of kind of figuring out what you're passionate about or what you, is just to follow your curiosity. And she says, you know, don't go on this big, massive search and go, I must find my passion. I must find this thing. Like she's just like, just be curious and follow your curiosity. And if something interests you, follow it. And then from that something, something you might follow something else. And she's like, she's basically just saying, just pay attention. So most of us, we're not. That's what we're we're not doing. We're not giving our times to pay attention to things that might capture our, mm. you know, capture our imagination. And I think that's a real, um, that's not a great thing for the world if none of us are doing that. Sounds like a hamster wheel, Kel. <laughs> so uh, we're too busy. We're too busy on the <laughs> hamster right. wheel to like pay attention to these other things. They are kind of clamoring for our attention for good reason. Exactly. <laughs> So um, it's a while since you got to answer this question. I'll be interested to see how you respond this time, Kelly. But uh, we're going to hit <laughs> you with the uh, the one question that we'd like to ask all of our guests on the Tradies Business Show is if you had a 1,000 tradies in the room, maybe we should make it like 100,000 for you based on your book launch, but if you had a 1,000 <laughs> tradies in the room, what's what's one piece of advice you'd love to leave them with today? I'd say carve out... 10, just 10 minutes a day to do whatever the hell you want and carve it out guilt-free and, and, and don't wait for someone to gift you that 10 minutes. Just make it happen. Get up 10 minutes earlier um, in the morning. Take 10 minutes, you know, that lunch break that you never, ever take. Just take 10 minutes. Um, just make it happen somehow and just see what having that little 10-minute slot in your day does for you. That's mm. what I'd like them to do. Sage words. Well, thank you very much, Kelly. Always a pleasure to have you on the Tradies Business Show. And, yeah, maybe we need to do this more often. Um, yeah, have me I on feel very week. zen now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, you happen to have launched a book, as, as we've said, called Practical Perfection. Yes. So can you give our listeners um, the deets so they can go and uh, – well, first of all, it's on Amazon. So uh, And there's 99 cents on Amazon this week right. when they'll be listening to it. So that would – yes, if you just go to any um, – I know there's like Amazon, you know, England, Amazon Australia, Amazon – um, US, just any of those stores, just search Practical Perfection and the book will come up and the Kindle version of all of those is 99 cents this week. Wow. Um, if they want to get the paperback version, if they just go to kellyexeter.com.au slash practical dash perfection, they'll find it, they'll find it in your know, PDF version, paperback version, links to the various Kindle versions. That's all on that page on my website. Great. And we will, uh, well, I will put all of that uh, <laughs> into the show notes for this episode. Um, so go to tradiesbusinessshow.com, find today's episode, and we'll put all the links in there as well. And if you are a cheapskate and don't want to spend 99 cents to get the book, we're actually going to give a one way this month. <laughs> so uh, Kelly has given us a hardback copy to give away. Uh, so paperback, paperback. Paperback. paperback, sorry, sorry, paperback. Uh, and we'll be giving that away to people on our mailing list and our membership community. So watch mm. out Facebook and emails for details on how to win your own copy. Cool. Well, 
Kelly, thank you again. Um, you've done well to survive this long without another dash to the bathroom. I <laughs> know, I reckon. Yeah, it's like you guys, are, you, you're healing. Yeah, people. better than that charcoal stuff you <laughs> yeah, were taking. Yeah, better than you're better tasting than the charcoal. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, uh, look, all the best um, with the book launch. I, I have no doubt that it'll go off. And, uh, yeah, listeners, make sure you go grab your copy, 99 cents this week. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, I suspect, Kel. Thanks so much, guys. Always awesome talking to you. Great. Thanks. Bye. So there you go. Problem solved. No more burnout. No more overwhelm. No more freaking hamster wheels. All gone. (laughs) We're all zenned out. And uh, Kelly's managed to, you know... Not race to the bathroom. Uh, so, as we said, we're going to give away a copy of Kelly's book, a paperback copy, um, to... Well, we've got two to give away, don't we, Michaela? We do. And we're going to make you do something outrageous to get a copy of Kelly's book. So, first thing I think would be to go to our <laughs> website, give us your email address somewhere. There's heaps of ways you can get our free marketing tips, you can... Just subscribe. Subscribe. You should do to something list. simple and just subscribe That's to the list. Because we provide great free, valuable content every week. But we besides do. that, we also give away something every month now. Mm-hmm. And our March giveaway is Kelly's book. Yep. So, yeah, get on our mailing list. And the other way, Michaela, that you might be able to grab a copy? We'll be on our Tradies Business Toolkit. So, if you're one of our members, we have an additional copy to give you. Your odds are better. Ah, Think of so it if that you get way. on the list and join the toolkit, yeah, you, you almost get double dibs. Yeah, well, your toolkit odds are much better. Yeah. Yep. You, there's less on the toolkit. Yeah, yes. anyway. Yep. Uh, so, tradiesbusinessshow.com. <laughs> we know where we are. Forward slash <laughs> toolkit. Uh-huh. That's where you go to the toolkit, yeah. So, tradiesbusinessshow.com. Um, jump on the list. We're going to give away a copy of Kelly's book. Uh, it's a bloody great read. It's very, very prescriptive. So there's a really good model in there and she pretty much just tells you how to recognize these things and fix them. And, um, yeah. We'll put it all in the show notes as well, yep. all the links and everything there as well. Um, Apart from that, I think, you know, we've got a bit of spare time this afternoon. Let's uh, pub. hit the pub. Why do like, we always default to the pub? <laughs> I just thought pub or beach. Well, it's a crappy day for the beach, so I guess it's pub. And I don't drink, so... Bye for now. You've been listening to the Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell and Michaela Clark. Want to get off the tools into true business ownership? Find out how at tradiesbusinessshow.com.